I always advise, you know, if you're ever in such a condition, and I hope not that anyone ever does go through that, but yeah, if you're ever put into such a condition, believe in something. Whatever it is, you have to believe in something because it will pull you through. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe, and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits, and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine, and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly, and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. Ibrahim Halawa spent more than four years of his life in prison in Egypt after he was arrested while on a family holiday in 2013. Then aged 17, Ibrahim was detained by the Egyptian security forces after he, along with three of his sisters, were caught up in a siege at a mosque in Cairo in August 2013. While the women were allowed to return home to Ireland within three months, their teenage brother was kept in custody. Ibrahim was accused, along with nearly 500 others, of inciting violence, riot and sabotage and faced a mass trial under threat of the death penalty. 1,497 days, four years later, Ibrahim Halawa was acquitted of all charges. He was released from Wadi El Natroon prison on 20th of October 2017, returning home to Dublin and to his family. In March 2017, as a medical doctor, I was asked by the Irish government to visit Ibrahim Alawa in the bleak, stark Wadi El Natroon prison to establish his level of health and well-being. Then aged 21, Ibrahim was physically frail and fragile. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Ibrahim Halawa, now an undergraduate law student at the Sutherland School of Law, University College Dublin. We talk about his experiences in Wadi El Natroon and how while you may not be able to change your circumstances, you can always change how you choose to respond to them. We explore Ibrahim's inner resolve at such a young age, how his resilience grew, and how he derived strength during his incarceration, from books including Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning and Nelson Mandela's Long Walk to Freedom. We learn from the past, we grow from it. If we forget, we will allow the perpetrators to do it all over again. We talk about the power of forgiveness and the importance of never forgetting, but at the same time forgiving and letting go for a better, brighter future. If you're a leader who recognizes, particularly since COVID-19, that living with vitality and building a more resilient mind matter now more than ever for you and your team, then this podcast is for you. For further details, visit drmarkrow.com. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Ibrahim Halawa, who spent 1,497 days in captivity in Egypt before being acquitted of all charges in 2017. Welcome to the podcast, Ibrahim. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. Thank you. No, I'm delighted to have you. And can I just get back to that time in 2013, I mean, you were a very young boy. Um, I think you'd just done your leaving cert. And, you know, 
what happened that that you and your sisters came to be sort of caught up in this whole thing in Cairo at the time? Um, so, of course, you know, uh, like I said, I was only 17 years old and I've studied Irish history and it was embedded within me to have a little revolutionist inside of me. Um, but the, the actual facts of me uh, traveling to Egypt wasn't, you know, for any political or any protest means whatsoever. I was actually traveling because I have extended family in Egypt and uh, and we go to visit them regularly every every year or so. But for that period of time, because of the revolution I had taken part in 2011 and what they call the Arab, Arab Spring had, t- had taken part, um, I hadn't seen my aunties for so long and my, you know, and, and my extended family. And my dad said, you know, after leaving, sir, you know, go visit your aunties and whatnot. And when we were there, you know, people were calling for democracy and for democracy not to be taken off them and not to be, you know, revoked, you know, for, from them. And I, it was so simple for me. It was a concept that, you know, we have and we take it for privilege and we take it for granted that we go and vote. And some of us don't even consider voting. Some of us don't even walk to the ballot box as if it's, you know, your day can go by and some people don't even care about voting. But in these countries, people actually want to give their voice and these people actually want to call, you know, for democracy, for someone that they actually believe in to get, you know, to bring change to a government that has been run by the military for over 60 years um, and a president that hasn't been changed for over 30 30 years. And when I was there, you know, people were being shot and people were being killed and I still hadn't taken part at, at that time. But when it hit home and, and two of my friends were shot, that's that's when I really took to the streets. And that's when I said, you know, like I live in Europe. I've, I've lived in Europe happily and I was born in Europe and I was born in Ireland and people, you know, go vote all the time. You don't kill people for voting. If you don't want someone in power, that's fair enough. But that's exactly why democracy is there. And that's the process of democracy. And that's the whole point of it. And, you know, it's it's not something that's strange um, for, for you know, the, the African nation uh, in total, for African countries not to have, you know, or Arab countries not to have democracy. There's a lot of dictators in power and they hold in power for very long. Um, but it was, te- it was terrifying for a 17-year-old to see people get killed for something so simple. You know, it, it just, it, it didn't hit my, you know, I couldn't comprehend it. It just, it was simple logic. You don't want someone in power. You put a ballot box, people call to remove that person. You don't kill people for simply calling for democracy. And then I was arrested, me and my my, my sisters, for, for doing so. We took to the streets after my friends were killed. And, you know, we were surrounded in a mosque. And, and that's when I was shot a bullet and, and, you know, a lot of tear gas. And, of course, that's when, when I was arrested after for the period of four years and two months under trial. Um, I was never convicted of a crime. I was just accused and, you know, false accusations with no witnesses, no uh, proof and no evidence whatsoever. And I've read as well, Ibrahim, that the trial was postponed something like 30 times over two and a half years. Is that true? It was, it was. And, and you know, like, I always, I always find it funny to even call it a trial sometimes because... You know, we were just rounded up. We were brought a mass number. We I, Like, I have to point out that for people who don't know, it was a mass trial. So it was 494 people in one trial. You can imagine, like, if, if one lawyer spoke about, you know, his client, um, five minutes would be here every day. So the judge didn't even bother with with, with going on with the trial. Um, and, you know, it was his secretary who would go up every single time for those 30-something times 
and he would go up and he'd say, the trial is postponed for the next three months. And it, it was very sad because imagine one year you were postponed three times. I was in one year, I was only postponed three times and nothing was conducted within those trials. There wasn't a hearing whatsoever. There wasn't any lawyers speaking whatsoever. We were just rounded, brought to the court and we were just sent back straight away after the trial was postponed. And how did you cope during that time? It must have been very tough. It, it was. It, I'm not going to lie. Of course, it's it's difficult. I was, you know, Egypt for me, regardless that it's it's my, you know, it's my parents' country. But for me, I, it wasn't what I could call home because I was born and raised in Ireland. It's it's what I knew. Um, so for me, it was still strange. I wasn't speaking Arabic perfectly. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I found everything very strange. And, and for the fact that I was a minor in prison and they just wouldn't listen to that. It was illegal by Egyptian law within itself and, and international law for them to imprison me under such charges that I was facing the death sentence. And that for me was just scary as a 17-year-old that any day I could be killed for protest. It was just out of my mind. It was crazy. The fact that, you know, we protest in Ireland all the time. If you go past by the doll, every day there's people standing there. So imagine just rounding these people and just tell them, yeah, tomorrow you're facing a death sentence for just standing there. So it was it was crazy to comprehend. And I understand you met a, a friend, Peter, an Australian, when you when you were in jail, and he had a very good influence on you. Yeah, yeah. Peter Greste, he's a he was an Australian journalist. I, I love Peter. Um, even though there's you know there's a there's an age difference between me and him, uh, and he's a professor in college now, but um, which makes him sound big, but he's actually is a very sound uh you know, young man, um, he's he's very fit. He taught me a lot. And it was just nice to spend some time with someone that I can finally just speak English, who had similar background of where I was from and who could understand me. And we shared books and we shared some, you know, some, some thoughts, which was nice. And he was released after it. And, you know, it was, and that's that was the painful thing about prison was that you'd, you know, you'd have to say goodbye to either the person who's beside you, the person who's going home, whether you're moving prisons. And I moved 10 times prison. So for me to say goodbye was the worst part because I never knew if I was going to see that person that I've spent, you know, most of my day with, most of my time with, even more than I've spent with my sisters and brothers and, and family. Like, hmm. And can you describe for our listeners what the conditions in jail were like for you, Ibrahim? Yeah, so I'll always, I always say, you know, if, if you've ever watched a barbaric movie about some prison, you know, scrap that. That has nothing got to do with, with, with what I've seen in Egypt. It's, it's very minor comparing to what I've seen. It's actually more horrific, more, you know, torturous, more, you know, scary than, than any movie that I have witnessed. And I've been to prison, like... Um, uh, it's it's a cell. I would say five five by five around that, or five by three point five. It was it was very small, and we had something like fifty people in it. Um, so you know, I think it was it's the size of the room that I'm sitting in, even smaller. And like I said, you know, I would say that they they had them aligned so we would sleep on on our shoulder, like on our side, and then you'd have a you know the the guy who's in charge of the cell who would come and push everyone against their backs with his leg just to squeeze them in like it was as if it was a sardine box um just so we'd all fit in and he find more space for people um sometimes it was a shared toilet sometimes there was no toilet at all um 
and that was part of the torture that we had to face that they would block the toilet and they would force everyone just to, you know to urinate in that uh, blocked space and the smell and the overflow would, would go into the cell um you know we were beaten on a daily basis like we we didn't even consider beating uh as torture you get me that was like that was that wasn't even part of you know the the leveling that we would that we would put on the scheme um you know a lot of people were electrocuted i wasn't electrocuted i was whipped with metal chains and uh, you know i was on a hunger strike even though i say you know it doesn't seem like i was on a hunger strike but you know you were there and and you saw you know how how sick i was and 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 it's always great to be in touch with you i just i just wanted to say that as well that mm. Thanks, Abraham. Well, when I, when I came out to see you, and the when the Irish government sent me out to see you in March 2017, I mean, it's 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 a time I'll never forget. Um, going to the Wadi El Natroon uh, prison. I mean, it reminded me of the movie Midnight Express. Um, you know, it was really, it was really very 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 stark, very bleak. And I remember when I saw you, how how frail you were, how fragile you were physically, and yet at the same time. I was really taken by your inner resolve, that sense of resilience that you displayed when we had that long conversation in the general's office. And, you know, I think we spent about 90 minutes together. And I think you had told me you you had read Man's Search for Meaning at that time by Viktor Frankl. I'll never forget that. And, you know, you spoke about how you know, you could um, you mightn't be able to change your circumstances but you could change how you responded and you spoke about your plans for the future to help others in the world. And you just had such a sense of inner belief. I was really taken with that. I mean, as a young man, um, where did that come from, Ibrahim? Well, <laughs> I'd say, first of all, like, you know, I always thought like I had to pull through, um, whether it was for my family, whether it was for my nieces and nephews, whether it was just for my surroundings. But you know, part of it, I'd say a huge part of it is just being, you know, being Irish and being born in Ireland and being raised in Ireland to have resilience. Um, but also, like, you know, I, I am a guy who is religious and I believe in God. Um, you know, I'm not the perfectly practicing guy, but I always advise, you know, if you're ever in such a condition, and I hope not that anyone ever does go through that, but yeah, if you're ever put into such a condition, believe in something whatever it is you have to believe in something because it will pull you through and it will make you you know we we do have weak moments at times that we do break because we are humans but uh, I, I never imagined you know uh, mark that we would be sitting here at the other side and you know uh, <laughs> you know our worries would be a zoom call over a pandemic um that would have been you know my least problems if you were to if you were to say it to me at that time but you know, it, it is it is the strange things of this world that we live in, and I've I've went through an experience. I've learned a lot, and I've seen a lot, and and definitely it has changed my career path of my life, um, forever and for good. And it's become part of me and part of who I am today. How has it changed you, Ibrahim? How do you think it has changed you that experience? I think being raised in Europe, we're never exposed to just the violations of human rights people actually go through, especially the new generations that are upcoming. Maybe the elder generations in, you know, in, in Ireland, of course, have faced, you know, sh- such hard times in their youth. But us as generations growing up, I don't think we've faced any hardships um, that we can call a, a real hardship. 
Um, so for me to face such, you know, um, a hardship, it just taught me not to look at myself and to look outside of my bubble, that there is other people who, you know, who are just looking for the simple little privileges that we have. Um, and it taught me to be grateful. It taught me to fight for human rights wherever it is, regardless of the background, you know, the belief, whatever it is, just fight for human rights. Um, because it's a right that we have to have. And it's unfortunately, it's sad that we still have to say we fight for human rights. It should be a basic, you know, a given right that we shouldn't even have to call for. But there is countries and people that still face uh, such tragedies on a daily basis. Oh, no, I, absolutely. I th- and I think being grateful for what you have is, is a great starting point, a great foundation. And, you know, we have so much freedom in the Western world. And of course, there is this tendency to just take all that for granted and look over your shoulder and say, I want more or whatever. And uh, when you strip it all back, when your basic freedoms are taken away, that can make things so, so difficult for you. Do you think it's made you a better human being, Ibrahim, this experience? It's it's made me... <sighs> It's made me more emotional. It's made me more sympathetic. It's made me, you know, uh, of course I can endure more. Like my, my, you know, my take of like tolerance is, is wider now. So I can, you know, I go through little problems that probably for me would have been crazy problems and the end of the world for me. And right now they just pass over my shoulders by, you know, by, 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 by you know, normal. Um, but it, it has made me a better man and it has made me to look at it, you know, uh, like I said, be grateful and not always just, you know, think about my privileged self of where I live. No, uh, like a lot of people would die to, you know, for, for the passport that we have. A lot of people would die for the language that we have. A lot of people would die for the, you know, for the for, for the uh, for the democracy and the freedom that we have. Just to walk to the park, the nature, the beauty of that, um, you know, simple things like the list could go on and on forever. And I know a lot of people would criticize, for example, the work of the government. But, you know, like I said, like maybe the vaccine, like people in, in Egypt can't even get their hands on the vaccine. And it's, it's you know, people are criticizing it here in Ireland a bit or whatnot. But, you know, we're privileged that we can actually, there is free healthcare, there's medical care. And in Egypt, there's nothing. Like coronavirus is, for them is just, you know, they're counting numbers of dead people. And that's it. And goodbye. They don't, they don't care. Well, I agree with you, Ibrahim. I mean, I mean, every country and every democracy has its challenges, uh, but I think Ireland is, is a great little country, and uh, we have a lot of strengths and a lot of things that are that are that are going really well if we can all continue to work together and create a better, brighter future. You're you're studying law now, Ibrahim. Can you tell me about that? What led you into that path? Oh God! Um, so I've always wanted to study aeronautical engineering. I just love how mechanics work, and I just love the behind the scenes of how you know we can bring a huge block of metal to fly in the sky. Um, but you know, after after what I've been through in Egypt, and and after I've I've seen how you know they've used a lot to abuse me. They've used a lot to take four years of my life that no one would give back to me. And they've used that to their own, you know, advantage. But, you know, since I've been since I've been released, I, I went out and I've been calling for human rights and, I, and I've been, you know, doing work for human rights and activism and whatnot. But it really made a difference for me when when I just sat with UN reporters and, and, and UN commissioners and discussed the law about it, you know, and... I felt like I've understood that perspective because they will listen to you if you're an activist, but they will give you all attention uh, if you know what you're talking about using the law that they have put 
to protect themselves and to protect us. And that's the thing about law. It's, it's how you use it to your advantage and how you use it to your goodwill. Um, like he's been using it to, to torture people. I just want to use it to be able to say, you know, these countries are violating such and such and such international policies. Do you think it's giving you an opportunity to really use your strengths, Ibrahim? And what do you think your strengths are? Yeah, so like I was saying to you just before we started that, you know, I've always had stuff that maybe my mom always like said, oh, would you stop arguing? Would you stop talking? You know, these little flaws that people always point out for, but I've actually found a home for them in law. And and that was, that took me back a bit when, when I actually realized that, like, I actually, you know, when I'm writing my assignment, the fact that I'm argumentative is really powerful because I showed you the perspective of what I believe in. Um, the fact that I can talk and, and just take that law and implement it, it, it really shows how I think outside the box. So all of these overthinking, you know, flaws. So sometimes I just want to tell people, if you actually think you have these flaws, you know, you might as well try law. You, you really do well there. Um, but it, it really is enjoyable and I love it. And I, and I have great people in my college and I, I'm grateful that UCD took me in and, you know, gave me that, gave me that space to be able to just reach my my dreams and my my aspirations well i think ucd is a wonderful college and i think equally they're they're lucky to have you ibrahim as a real walking breathing advocate for for democracy and and for values who do you admire most ibrahim in life and why of course like outside of my family like if you, I, I would be a bit cliche and say my mom and dad because they you know they traveled they came here and they gave us a future that we would have we wouldn't have dreamed of um, but definitely I would say Nelson Mandela because, and that sounds cliche, but it's because I've read his book before I was imprisoned, uh, Long Walk to Freedom, and I've read it when I was inside prison and it made a huge difference just reading it inside because it's as if I was actually narrating my own story because the little things, you know, you go through prison describe the detail that I was going through. Um, if not, sometimes at a higher scale a bit. Um, but yet again, I, I really admire him um, from from his writings, from what he's been through, etc., uh, etc. Et but there is a few on my list, to be honest. That's absolutely fine. I mean, I really admire Nelson Mandela as well. And like you, I've read that book, The Long Walk to Freedom. What really struck me about Nelson Mandela was his forgiveness, how at his inauguration, he had his previous captors there and he and he was asked about it and he said well look if i didn't have them here it would be like i was still in prison on the inside i had to let go of it i had to let the past go i had to make peace with it and learn to accept what had happened and move on uh, is that something you've been able to do ibrahim make peace with the incident in egypt to let go of it move on forgiveness i will definitely put this into perspective uh, for me to forgive um, means that I don't have to be bitter and I don't want to be bitter uh, and I don't want to hold on to grudges and I don't want to, you know, turn into a violent guy or people who look for revenge or seek such. Um, but I've also, I'm a strong advocate and I'm a strong belief that if I don't fight these people back for what they have done to me and what they're doing to others, they will continue to do so. And people will, you know, take advantage of you if you remain quiet and silent. And that's exactly why I wanted to use the law to go back and use that against them and tell them, look, you've done this, such, such and such. As a European citizen, you've tortured me. You shouldn't be able to set, set foot in Europe. 
And if you do, you'll be imprisoned for your torturous acts um, and your violations of human rights. And that's why I believe that for regardless of me forgiving or forgetting, it doesn't mean that I don't fight back. They're two diff- different things totally. Uh, and that's what I'm doing. You know, that's why I'm pursuing my law career to be able to stand up to these guys and tell them you can't keep going on with your torture and you can't keep going on with, you know, uh, disappearing people and, you know, never, never knowing where they've gone or putting them on death rolls or death sentences without being questioned or without being held accountable for your actions. Well, I think that's the essence of, of, of resilience and realistic optimism that we create a better, brighter future by the power of our own efforts, by what we commit to do today. And as you said there, you know, forgive, yes, but forget never. We, we, we learn from the past and we grow from it, but we don't sort of erase it uh, with the rubber, as it were. I mean, Mark Twain once said that about forgiveness, Ibrahim, he said, forgiveness is like the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. It, it, it is, you know, it is such a powerful thing to be able to forgive uh, in in that you're you're letting go, as you said, you're not eating yourself up with with poison on the inside. You're choosing to let go of it um, for a better future. Exactly, and that, and that's the, like 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 I said, it's it's forgiving is one thing, and forgetting is another thing. If if we forget, then we will allow them to do it over again and over and over. But absolutely, we you know we shouldn't forget. It's 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 part of us that we remember stuff, and and it's we have to take care of ourselves, obviously. And and I had to take care of myself, and. I, I advise everyone, like I went through my, like I said, I was, I, I went through my own imprisonment time and I've been my through my own torture, but everyone has a different trial in life and everyone goes through different trials. Everyone has their sort of prison that they go through and dealing with it and sometimes accepting it and, and, and learn, you know, just not, I'm not a strong advocate of throwing it over your shoulder, take a moment, stop, deal with it, understand it, because if you ever face it again, you will know how to overcome it more quicker and more you know happily later yeah so Ibrahim how have you learned to take good care of yourself I have my favorite spot that I always go to up in the mountains as a viewpoint um it looks at all of Dublin it's really near the Hellfire Club um I just parked my car there and I always remember that spot because I used to go there before I was in prison so when I was in prison I used to always just remember in that freedom that 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 privilege that I had of actually looking at a fire space. A lot of us open our door every morning and we don't even think of, you know, how grateful we are to be able to have that power within us and that strength that we can actually open our own door every morning. And for me, just opening the door and having to see that long side of, you know, scenery, it was, was something that, that I was always looking forward. Just Looking beyond the walls was was one of the things I was always dreaming about. So I take care of myself there. If I need medical help, I seek medical help. If I, you know, go and do some sports, going out with my friends, meeting up with them. Of course, this pandemic had a toll on everyone and their mental health. And 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 I'm not a medical expert to to speak on on such, but I know that. For definitely what I've went through and being under lockdown of my own, that we need to stop and take care of ourselves because our mental health is number one. If we take care of that, we can take care of any issue after that. If we don't take care of that, we can't take care of any issue after that. I think that's a that's a great message for people to hear, Ibrahim. The the importance of self care as a really as a foundation stone uh, for everything else that that happens in your life, and you've articulated it so well there. Spending time in nature, spending time with your friends, seeking help and support if you have an issue and really being being good to yourself. I think that's that's really, really so important. 
Ibrahim, can I ask you about uh, what I would call your best possible future self? So if we, we, we've spent a lot of this podcast looking back, but if we we're going to look forward, if we were to look, say, three, five years into the future, and if everything that Ibrahim is working towards now comes to pass, um, all your dreams, all your goals, all your aspirations, the places you'd like to go to, the people, people you'd like to meet, your professional development, the books you'd like to read, you know, everything in that best idealized version of your future, if that all comes to pass, what will what will the future look like for you? Oh, so the future for me, to be honest, I, number one, I, I really want to travel the world before I just pin myself down with my career. Um, I want to, I want to, of course, pursue my career in law and finish that to the, to the end um, to make myself proud, but also to make my parents, those around me and those who believed in me um, proud. But yeah, at the long run, I, I really, I really am contemplating um, getting into politics and and reaching somewhere there, reaching the high level there. So let's see how that goes. I just need to get my degree out of the way first. That's fantastic. And could you give our listeners? I, I know you've said a lot in the podcast already about resilience, but if you were to give three take homes for building a resilient mind and really building that sort of mindset of of strength and resolve and resistance what might you say uh so like i said so i found my my resilience number one in god um just the fact that i was praying and the fact the concept of just being able to take a corner and just whisper my inner feelings um to god that just made me feel comfortable but also um when i was with peter um he he told me to try and meditate and, and I, I never i never tried it um it was my first time trying it with peter there at the time and he said listen just take a corner sit down and meditate and i actually done that and it, if it's come to my surprise that the first time i sat there i was obviously concentrating to everyone passing all the noises going by but he said to me Ibrahim, look time by time you'll actually block out these noises and you won't even feel that they're surrounding you and that's that's what I felt that I needed most that there was so much going on there was so much with my imprisonment going on there's so much and prison is like sometimes it was just very hurtful to sit down in prison and watch life go by and I read it I think in a book where it said prison is just like watching life go by through a screen so you're sitting as if you're sitting behind your tv and you're just watching life go by um so for me really to to deal with that for me i needed to sit down and meditate and understand that relax it's okay life does go by but you're still here and you're still present and you know you're still breathing there's a lot to be grateful for your family are still alive your surroundings are still good even though you're being tortured even though you're still in going through hell and back but take a pause you know, life is speedy and life is fast. And sometimes we just get swept up in it and we don't even take care of ourselves and concentrate. So meditating was one of those things that just gave you a pause in life and just sat down and just dealt with my inner self really well. Well, I think that is a great way to end this podcast, this idea of taking a pause. It's something I talk about a lot, that idea of, you know, letting go of the distraction of the world, uh, dropping out of mindlessness and dropping into mindful awareness and presence. Ibrahim, it's been an absolute pleasure. They say, you know, in life, you make a living with what you get, but you make a life by what you give to others. So 
I think through your actions and your own words and your own leadership, Ibrahim, keep learning, uh, keep being a student of life and keep leading by example. Ibrahim, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And I, and I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart again for, for being there for me always. You're always in reach and you've always, since day one, since you've seen me in prison. And it's a good message to the young medical students out there that if they listen to this, that, you know, one day they could be helping a guy in prison or in a difficult situation around the world um, that will really make a difference with them for the rest of their life. So I really want to thank you as well for that. Thank you very much. Ibrahim, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com.